Welcome to the Anti-Architect Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Giordano. As president and owner of the architecture and design firm Mancini Duffy, I am driven by a quest for disruption and radically changing the architecture industry through tech-first innovation. With this podcast, I am hoping to improve the industry that I am so passionate about by taking a critical look at how architects work with their clients and in turn, how their clients view us. It's my goal to showcase all of these experiences, good and bad. Was it the architect or the client or somewhere in between? Through shared experiences, stories, and projects, my hope is that we can improve our profession. So this episode is a bit different for me here at The Anti-Architect. Normally, we are taking a critical look at how architects work with their clients and in turn, how our clients view us. But today, I have all my partners here at Mancini Duffy. There are five of us now that own this 100-year-old-plus architecture firm. Mancini Duffy is a New York City institution for architecture firms. Back in the day, Mancini was known for corporate interiors for professional services companies, large law firms, and generally anything on the financial institution side. When I got to the firm in 2012, the concept behind my arrival was to bring the firm into the next generation in terms of projects, clients, leadership, and culture. Here we are all these years later, and we've grown, we've had some big wins, we've made some big mistakes, and we've survived a global pandemic. And I can tell you that the people sitting around here on these couches have been, have been like family. We're all in this together. We love what we do. We have a common purpose and a true partnership. In a sense, we chose each other. And for anyone listening to this, choosing your partners in business is a key component to your happiness and a key component to making a great company culture. I want to welcome Bola williams Ali, Scott Harrell, Bill Mandera, and our newest partner, Jessica Manamato. Thank you guys for coming in. <laughs> Thank you for having us. No problem. All right. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to kind of mix it up a bit and go around, kind of touch on what everybody does. Uh, and then I'll, I'll ask you guys some individual questions and tell a couple stories along the way. So uh, can each of you describe your role here at Mancini? Um, you know, what does everybody do? Scott, we'll start with you. Sounds good. So I think my biggest job here at Mancini Duffy is really taking care of our existing clients. Um, I like to call myself the client whisperer. Uh, pretty much every client that I touch, uh, I maintain that relationship for a long time. A good example of that is the Federal Reserve Bank I've been working with over 20 years now, uh, back from my old days at Hillier Group. Um, big clients like Time Warner and Nicer. So I really like to keep in touch with those people and keep in contact and continue those relationships. Awesome. Bola? Hello, everyone. <laughs> um, so thank you, Christian, for having us on and having me on. Um, at Mancini, I am the money girl. So I'm the chief financial officer here. I make sure everyone that's in this room is on task <laughs> and on project. Um, and I make sure that um, the office is running smoothly from a financial perspective. Awesome. 
Jessica. By the way, we call Jessica JMA. JMA. <laughs> so much easier than Jessica Manamato. <laughs> I'm the design principal, so I lead interiors for the firm and infiltrate through all design. Um, I lead all of the interior designers and oversee all of our workplace projects. And then um, touch on a lot of our large client relationships and help maintain those as well. Excellent. And Bill? And me. Um, <laughs> my official title is CEO, but I have two functions around here, one of which is being in charge of the operations and the day-to-day -day running of the firm, as well as I'm the guy who signs and seals all the drawings here, so I'm the lead technical architect, so if something goes wrong, I'll be in jail somewhere. <laughs> That's <great>. right. <laughs> I'll be out of a house and Bill will be in jail. That's how we kind of divided up the responsibilities. <laughs> so okay, Bill, it's a nice jail. How did you how did you get into this profession? I got in this profession because my dad um, was a general contractor. Uh, my grandfather was a, a masonry contractor and my great grandfather when he came over here from Italy was a guy who like he was like a water boy when they built the George Washington Bridge. So long line cool. of construction, go figure, Italian, North Jersey. Um, and when I was a kid, I would go hang out, go to work with my dad or my grandfather and hang out in the trailer and look at the drawings. And one day my grandfather gave me a piece of tracing paper and said, why don't you draw over this? And then my father said, if you're going to do this, don't do what I do, be an architect. And here we are. Nice. That's great. Jessica? I always wanted to be a designer from as long as I can remember from childhood. Um, I was the kid who was always rearranging all the furniture in the house, driving my mom crazy. Um, so in high school, I went to an alternative high school and I asked my teachers to help me put together a portfolio to get into design school. And they did. So I went to a great design school and then I, I came to New York and that's the whole story. I just always knew I wanted to do it and I pursued it. Nice, that's great. Bola? <laughs> I never wanted to do finance. <laughs> no, seriously. Um, seriously, I did not want to do finance um, simply because my mom was a controller. She was an accountant by training. So I was like, I don't want to do anything in any relation to accounting. So I ended up studying math in school. And then just quick backstory, I moved here from Nigeria when I was 17 so as an international student, when it's time to graduate, you need to find a company that will sponsor you. So I needed to find work anywhere possible <laughs> that would sponsor. And um, randomly stumbled, well, this is how I got into the industry, randomly stumbled on a job posting for an accountant in an architecture firm. And so I was like, well, you better keep that accounting. I don't want to do accounting in your back pocket and go interview. And so the other thing that made me take the interview was I had done technical drawing in high school, like one term. So I was like, I've done technical drawing. It would be interesting to be, you know, to work in this profession from a finance bit. And then the rest is history. I awesome. just built my path. Awesome. Scott? I think for me, it was a no brainer, really. It was uh, as a kid, I used to love to color. And, <laughs> you know, I colored all the time. I was always drawing stuff. Right. And so when I got to high school, I took a drafting class. And as soon as I took that class, I knew right away this is what I wanted to do. I'd love to draw and just really went with it. Nice. I awesome. really wanted to be a marine biologist, but that's too much work. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Scott, we'll, we'll start with you again here. Um, you know, our audience would love to get, get to know you better. Um, 
where did you grow up? Where do you live now? Uh, what do you do outside of uh, professional life? And, and tell us about your uh, your beer uh, <laughs> brewing and connoisseur. It's like a hobby. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I grew up in central Jersey in Bridgewater as a kid, but spent most of my time down at the shore. My grandparents owned a house in Seaside Park. Uh, so I would go down there a lot in the summers. Pretty much every summer I lived there, worked on the boardwalk, did all kinds of fun stuff and surf shops. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, but now I live in pretty much, I guess you call it Central Jersey. Some people call it the Jersey Shore. I don't know if you consider Matawan, Aberdeen, the Jersey Shore or not. I don't think there's a such thing as Central Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I live there now. Um, but yeah, when I'm not at work, you know, I really like to play golf and I have beer hobbies. I like to go out and taste different beers and visit different breweries and experiment with trying different brews and making my own brews. Um, that might be don't my next life. Don't forget the jam. Is that? The jam. Don't forget the jam. And the jam. Yeah, the jam you like to make. Oh, yeah. That's so a, good. Yeah, yes. that's, a little, that's a little fall hobby. I like to make jam <laughs> with, with the stuff I grow in my garden. Yeah. And you, you've been at Mancini a long time. Where did you work beforehand? I worked before at Hillier Group uh, for almost 15 years there. Okay. Yeah. And um, that's why I said when I left Hillier Group and came to Mancini Duffy, I pretty much took a few of those clients over here and continued to work with them. Nice. That's great. Bola, tell us a little bit about your uh, your growing up and where you worked before. He's touched on that a little bit. but Yeah. So, um, as I said earlier, I grew up in Nigeria. Um, uh, moved to the States at 17 to come to college. I went to Hunter College in the city. Prior to that, though, um, I had visited New York several times with my mom just to get, you know, for summer holidays. And so she was really determined. So my mom is a single parent. I'm her only child. And so she was determined to give me the best that she could. Um, so she knew she wanted me to study here. It's also because she went to Rutgers. So just, you know, better opportunity for her daughter. She was going to make it happen. So I moved here in 2002. Um Graduated, like I said, graduated Hunter 2007. The next, I think I graduated like May 30th. And then June 1st, I started working at HLW, which is where I know Christian from. <laughs> um, Christian was the director of architecture. Yeah. I think when I was like a, you know, small time <laughs> accountant, <laughs> nobody then. Um, spent five years at HLW. And after HLW, I moved uh, to Skidmore, Wins and Merrill. Spent another five there before Christian. I got a random call <laughs> from someone um, and moved to Mancini 2017. Yeah. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Jessica? So I grew up in Tallahassee, Florida, which is North Florida. I'm a Southern girl at heart. I have a lot of family throughout the South. <laughs> and I love that about myself. I feel like it gives me that uh, Southern charm, I think, that uh, clients react well to. Um, I moved to New York, as I said, 20 years ago. I live in Westchester. I married a Long Island boy. <laughs> so everyone makes fun of us for moving to Westchester after he grew up on Long Island, but we love Westchester because we love to hike and kayak. Uh, we have an amazing Hudson River view at our house, so it's perfect for us. Um, I love to garden. I'm obsessed with flowers. My daughter and I love to arrange flowers together, which is a really fun activity. And Scott and I talk about our gardening all the time mm -hmm. um, and how big we can grow our vegetables. <laughs> you guys can we need to have a competition. Yeah, I have some really good hot peppers. I can give you some good hot peppers this <laughs> exactly. year. Exactly. Um, so 
like I said, I've been in New York 20 years. I worked at Conant Architects, which is where Kristen, Christian and I first met. Um, I've always really admired Christian. Um, we worked really well together there and we yeah. sort of stayed in touch, um, over our careers. Um, I worked multiple other places, Nelson, HLW. We all sort of <laughs> connected a little bit through HLW and then uh, many years at Spectre Group. Um, so just loving my time here. It's a, it's a very different type of firm with a young mentality and it's exciting to cultivate the leadership that we have here. Awesome. And uh, with, with Bill, we know we're going to get all sorts of things about North Jersey and Paramus. So, Bill, tell us, uh, <laughs> tell us about... Uh... You kind of stole my thunder there, bud. Um, yes, I grew up about 20 miles from here in Paramus, New Jersey. Um, I currently live about 200 yards from where I grew up, also in Paramus, New Jersey, <laughs> um, which was when we had our second kid, we moved back there and basically our it was kind of like everyone loves Raymond for a while there, but um, it's great. It's it's you know happy to happy to live there. Um, career wise, this is really technically only my second job since I graduated college. I worked at a small firm in New Jersey for about eleven years. Then I worked at a firm called TSC that used to occupy this space over here, and literally like me and the workstations are all that's left of it. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking about entering Survivor, but I don't like bugs, nor, nor do I like not showering. Um, personally, uh, with, like I said, with my, my wife and my two kids, I, I love spending as much time with them as possible. Um, I don't garden. I can't even, literally, I plant grass and it dies. Um, it's not good, which is why I put as much concrete in my yard as possible. But... Um, Otherwise, if I'm not doing this, I'm usually involved in music somehow or another. I spent a lot of time um, in my life in various cover bands, bands. Um, now I'm actually in the process of recording a whole bunch of songs that I wrote over the spring and the summer with my son, which is really cool. I built a little home studio area in my, my office, which is fun. So that's what I do when I'm cool. Well, and, and just so everyone knows, Bill wrote the theme song uh, for the Anti-Architect podcast uh, that you heard in the beginning of this show. So, um, Was I supposed to say my hobbies? Yeah. Tell us your, your hobby list is going to be way <laughs> too long. that or I just went rogue. No, I'm just going to say my one hobby I love. We'll leave <laughs> everything favorite else. Hobby. My favorite hobby is DIY-themed <laughs> parties. I yes. love to come up with fun stuff. Um, I just recently did a James Bond theme for my seven-year-old daughter who turned seven on the seventh. So it was perfect. <laughs> nice. You're well, so party turning awesome. 50 next year, Bola. I've Don't already worry, told, I'm going to think about it. The only caveat is I've told Lisa I want to have Minnie Kiss playing at my birthday party. <laughs> other than that. Other than that, okay. If it, you have to have Bola playing your party. No, just come up with a theme. Then somebody else can plan. <laughs> <laughs> So the way I met all of you guys is I'll just kind of tell everybody is uh, just kind of, again, going around the horn. You know, Scott, uh, I met, um, I think when we, you know, they had already hired me here at Mancini and we had this sort of fake interview process where I came and you guys all interviewed me. Um, and I think Scott was the only one that I could relate to because, um, well, let's just say we were similar in age at that point, um, and and Scott was quite normal, and so we, we we hit it off right from right from the beginning. Warm and inviting. <laughs> That's right. Um, and then Jessica, as she said, I, I've probably known Jessica the longest here. Now that I think about it, um, we met at Conant Architects. Um, I had left Swanky Hayden Connell. 
and I had done a very brief stint at Conant, and that's where we met. And um, you know, from there, I went to HLW. I, I was originally going to go out on my own right after Conant, and then ended up at HLW for I don't know twelve plus years after that. But uh, but that's how we met. And then, as Bola said, uh, I met Bola at HLW, and um, you know, the accounting department. Um, pretty much nobody left the back area. You had to go through this weird route to get there. So you actually had to go past like a junkyard almost and then into another <laughs> building and then into a into the where the accounting department is. And nobody left that accounting department. And then when I when I would go there, nobody spoke except for Bola. And so she and I would just chat every now and then. And so we just kind of became friendly at that point. And then years and years went by and I randomly called and said, hey, you want to come here and you know, be the CFO. <laughs> so, and then as He's Bill crazy. said, um, Bill came with the furniture here uh, at at, uh, at Mancini. Piece of <laughs> um, so, but but Bill and I, we I think the first day we met, uh, we were going to a social event, and I got into Bill's car, and he had Howard Stern playing. And um, he quickly, as a, any good Howard Stern fan would, went to turn it off because you never know kind of what, you know, who you, if you have a guest in the car, what might be coming out of Howard's mouth. And I said, no, 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 Bill, it's okay. I, I listen to Howard every day. And so from that point on, we were, we were cool. True story. So, <laughs> so for Bill and Scott, um, do you remember the day when I told you uh, I had a plan to buy out uh, Tony and Sh Tony Sharippa and Dina Frank? Um, and just for context, Tony Sharippa and Dina Frank owned Mancini Duffy. They had actually, um, you know, purchased the firm from from the original founder Ralph Mancini. Um, and so we had, you know, kind of devised the scheme as to how we were going to buy it from from the previous generation. And do you guys remember that day and kind of how that all came to be? Absolutely. <laughs> sure do. <laughs> I mean, you know, that day is a little tough because we had been talking about it for literally years prior to, to, to how to do it. But the day you actually did come up with the plan, um, basically, my reaction was kind of like, all right, I'm in. What's the plan? Right. Um, and then, you know, and smartly what, came along with it. What compelled you to go along with this idea? Yeah, I, I think it was a great idea because, you know, we needed some new blood in the office. <laughs> some young bloods. And uh, <laughs> I thought it was a great idea. My reaction was how much it's going to cost us. <laughs> <laughs> and like right. most things in my life, I worried about that later. I just said, let's do it and I'll figure that out. I, I had always, like you, Christian, um, there had been two particular points in my life when I had decided I couldn't deal with working for anybody else anymore because I can be a little bit surly sometimes towards authority. Um, and unfortunately, neither one of those times it really quite worked out. The first time, first time I had just bought a house and had another kid and really wasn't in the cards. And um, the second time, you know, the financial world was melting down. So um, neither time was the opportunity. So this time when it, the opportunity presented itself, um, I was pretty psyched to do it. Yeah, no, I agree. And for anyone out there that, uh, you know, w one of the things you could do is approach, you know, your leadership and talk to them about how to how to, you know, become a partner, how to invest in the firm, how to, you know, become beyond just a, um, you know, a studio leader or a designer or a technical leader, but actually an, an owner of a firm. And you'd, I think you'd be surprised. I think that's the lesson that we learned okay. is that, you know, um, the 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 generation before us you know they they wanted a plan to to retire and they deserved it you know tony and dean are wonderful people and they deserve time 
you know, to now be with their families and, and enjoy the rest of their life. And, you know, in a sense, they gave us the gift of allowing us to buy it. And but they, you know, they got the gift of being able to retire. Well, hopefully one day, you know, there's others here in the firm that uh, will will be there for us, too. So. So, Bola, <laughs> um, what do you think has been the hardest part about being an owner of an architecture firm? <laughs> um, I mean, I think not just being an owner, but being a leader is, you know, the shift in the mentality that you know you are now responsible for a full floor of people, um, seventy plus people and their families, and you're no longer just on the other side where you're just expecting a paycheck, but you're actually, um, you know planning for the direction of where we of where we want to take the firm so i really see it as our own startup phase in a hundred plus year old firm luckily we have you know the name and legacy that they've given us but i really feel like we are in our own legacy building years and what do we want to be known for so one for me is we have people we're responsible for and that pressure, good or bad, is, you know, it is what it is. You have to do your best to make sure that their paycheck <laughs> comes in <laughs> no matter what. Um, but two, what, 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 what do we really want to be known for in the industry? How do we want to be seen? What do we want to be remembered for? How do we stand our own with the big guys? We're big too, <laughs> you know, so... I think for me, those have been the two things that have been on the top of my mind um, in the last year that I've been um, an owner, but more so, you know, leading people through. Yeah, yeah. And do you remember? Do you remember when I when I called you and 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 asked if you would be interested in in leaving Skidmore Owings and Merrill? Yes, I remember. I was in the print room. It was really random because. If, for folks who have worked at Skidmore, it's very quiet. And so I got a call, so I had to run to, you know, to hide to take this call. Um, but yes, I remember that day. And I will say that my my career journey or my career story um, will never be complete without you being in that, being in that picture. Um, because I did not see myself being where I am today, at least not now. I don't even think I saw myself being a CFO because, you know, then again, my path had been very linear. I was junior project accountant, then project accountant, then at SOM, I was senior project accountant. So technically, the next step would have been an assistant controller. If I went to controller, that's double promotion. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I remember that day very clearly. I had a lot of questions, doubts. I also was just a new mom. I had two kids under two. I was in school. There was a lot going on and I didn't, I, I couldn't clearly see why you were convinced that I should be the one to come here. But I remember we went and we had lunch. It was really nice. Um, and all the questions that I had, you know, you pretty much answered. I think the very first question I'd asked Christian was about family. And I was like, listen, I have these two kids under two. The kids school, they don't know me. What is your policy? I was not going to come here if you told me that I had to be here at 8.30 in the morning and leave at, I don't know, whatever time. So all fears, questions I had, you dispelled. And I talked to my husband after. We're like, let's do it. 
<laughs> That's great. I love it. It's true. I mean, one of the things here at Mancini, I mean, I'm in the same boat. My, my wife works and we have two kids and um that's always been my thing here right is that you know and jessica's got kids we all have kids scott's kids scott's kids somehow scott's kids are older kids scott are old. looks younger than all of us but yet his uh <laughs> kids are older than than ours i wish uh, i had flex time when i had little kids that's right yeah but the idea here at the firm was you know the more families the more working mothers the more we could accommodate that kind of thing we never cared here about punching in and punching out if you got your work done if you get your work done I don't care if you do it at midnight, right? It doesn't really matter to us. Um, and I think that's even shown, especially during COVID, you know, we, you know, our flexibility, it, we haven't skipped a beat during COVID because we were flexible from the beginning. So, hey, okay, you're going to work from home. Not a big deal. You were already probably working from home in some capacity uh, along the way. So, and then for those of you that don't know uh, Bola, Bola is a power woman, but I would say that she... Power Woman doesn't quite even do her justice, um, you know, and I think she doesn't even care about being a Power Woman. She just is who she is, which is amazing. Um, so just uh, can you tell us quickly about, you know, some of the other organizations that you've started um, and also, you know, some of the things you do for the people back home in Nigeria? Yeah, sure. Um, so... I mean, I'm passionate about a lot of things. <laughs> um, and I'm, I, I think I consider myself, um, I call myself a serial solution seeker, right? So I'm always thinking about what's, what, what problem exists and what solution can I provide in whatever capacity um, that I can, um, how can I solve a problem? And so through my career journey, different points have come up that have allowed me, you know, either start an organization or express myself or, or solve the problems that I'm trying to. So um, I'm passionate about community. And so when I became, um, you know, CFO and part owner at Mancini, I started really thinking about, um, you know, holding space for women women within the industry especially those of us that are in you know the supporting slash critical roles where we don't necessarily find a fit in the organizations that currently exist and so with with that thought in mind i created she builds waves um which is you know sort of like a cross-disciplinary um collective of women within the industry um to be able to come together to have conversations that we all face and challenge through our career journeys, right? So if you're in accounting and you've been in the industry 20 years, where do you, how do you find your place? Where do you, do you feel like you belong? Um, who is invested in your growth? Who is invested in your journey? Or are you just the accountants in, in the back, right? Or a marketer or, you know, or a designer on the floor, right? If we're all having conversations and speaking, then we can help solve the pain points that we each face and just show up better at our jobs, right? We all can do our jobs really well, but it's everything else that affects how we really show up. So that's She Builds Waves. Um, and that, that's, that went really well pre-COVID because we had, um, you know, in-person meetings where we would have these conversations. It's, it has transitioned um, online to growth workshops that we, we host, so that's going well. I'm also... Um, very passionate about education and children in Nigeria. So I have She Builds Lives, <laughs> which, um, you know, is a nonprofit that helps <clears throat> provide um, educational materials slash 
building a school, <laughs> building schools for children in low-income communities out there. And recently, I started She Builds Money, so it's a whole movement. Um, it's like a series. It's a Mobile. series. It's who knows what the next She Builds will be. And the build is a play on the built yeah. industry. Um, she Builds Money is um, a finance, keep it so simple, finance solutions um, company that that provides resources slash tools slash services to small design firms. Awesome. That's yeah. great. I told you. Power one. <laughs> Out of control. Superhero. <laughs> so, Bill. <laughs> yes, sir. You and I, at first glance, are probably uh, very unlikely um, to be a perfect match as partners, especially in a corporate architecture firm. Um, our personalities are certainly very different, um, but I think uh, when people get to know us, they realize how similar you and I uh, think. And I remember the first time that we met, and I can only imagine you thinking, like, oh God, who is this stuffy guy that wears you know pocket squares that match his socks? Um, <laughs> always, you always did. <laughs> yeah, I stopped the pocket square thing. I don't know. COVID, COVID kind of killed was. my uh, my formal dress. Um, but um, tell everyone about the early days of of us in this firm and why you think uh, you and I have such a special relationship. Frankly, agreed. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's funny. I, I knew I, I didn't meet you, but I knew you were coming here because we kind of had this like. When, when Ted Hammer was here, we had this kind of oddly organized studio that I was kind of the de facto leader of. And there was a guy that worked here that worked with you. And he didn't really care for you that much. And he kept telling me, oh, this guy Christian's coming. He's the worst. And he would say all these things. And I was like, man, this guy's going to suck. Um, and then if you remember, we actually had some mutual friends. We went out one night and um, we were both out at the same dinner and drinks and everything. And and we met and I was like, are you sure you're Christian? Because like, you don't seem like the guy I was, I was, I was told about. <laughs> um, and we had, a, you know, we had a lot of fun. We hit it off. And um, I remember coming back. This is before you started. I came back and I talked to a few people. And I'm like, I don't know what like, you all were talking about. Like, he's a cool guy. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was and from there on in. Obviously, we hit it off pretty, pretty, pretty quickly. And, yeah, I mean, I think that we are outwardly quite different i mean just just even physically I can, um but i think that you're right we, we do look at things quite similarly and i think that was apparent um very early on when you first started i think that you know again generally i i i start off with a i start off from a negative standpoint a lot of times when i when i meet people um but definitely not the case with you i think we hit it off quickly and it was again it was even a silly thing like listening to Howard Stern, but um, I think we do actually share a lot of the same views on things, which is which is interesting. Um, and yeah, it's true. Is. It's true, and and values too. Bill's a, yeah, Bill's a wonderful dad. I mean, I've never you know I actually want to emulate the way he is with his kids. Uh, his <laughs> his sons love him to death, and uh, you know really look up to him. He's a mentor to them, teaches them things. Um, teenage sons at that teenage sons but teaches them in a cool way you know does it with like a real realistic you know not an idealistic way but a realistic way so it's it's pretty special so thank you you're welcome scott <laughs> yes uh you've been at the firm the longest um you know more history than really anyone else here with the exception of one guy that works in our marketing department um 
you know, how would you describe the differences between the firm, say, 15 years ago and today? And if you don't mind, also tell us a little bit about you know, Ralph Mancini. Sure. Um, yeah, 15 years ago. It seems like so long ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was hired by Dina and Tony. I always remember the first week was interesting there because they brought me in to work on the Time Warner account. So Tony gives me a folder. He's like, just go through this and, you know, we got to do some catch up as a project manager. We're behind on invoicing and billing and just go through this. I was like, I didn't know where to start. There was all these different accounts and different projects. And so after the first week, I go home to my wife. I said, she's like, how's it going? I'm like, it's going okay. She's like, what have you been doing? I'm like, I don't know. I feel like George Costanza. I got the Penske file. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, after time went on, I, I realized what it was, figured it all out. And, you know, that, that Time Warner account was a great account and moved on. But, you know, back in the day, it really was a 2D firm. Really, the people were 2D. The work was 2D. It wasn't the way we work now. You know, we're now so three-dimensional and we really think outside the box. Back in the day, it was a very two-dimensional, very rigid in what we did. It was traditional architectural firm, right? And Mancini was great at what they did. We had great clients. It was all corporate clients, but it was always the same corporate clients. And we really never took on interesting projects, I think. Hmm. Whereas now, you know, with Christian being here, I think it's evolved so much more. It's 360. You know, we're always thinking about the next thing, you know. Christian wants to build a house in Mars or, you know, <laughs> you know, it's always something grand, right? And I think that's what makes us great now is about the different things that we do uh, compared to the way it used to be. Uh, that's what I like. Yeah, I agree. Thank God we diversified or I don't think we would have survived a pandemic. So. For sure. For sure. <laughs> and then Ralph, tell us about your experience with Ralph. Yeah, actually, Ralph and I were very close. Um, we both shared a mutual interest in New York Mets. <laughs> so every time Ralph came in, he, his first thing was to stop at my desk and he go, Scotty, what'd you think of that game last night? That pitcher really sucked. <laughs> I said, yeah, tell me about it. What else is new? Uh, but Ralph was great. He was very well respected. I really miss working with Ralph these days. I think he really brought a lot to the firm, the way he did things. And he was very well respected and listened to and everybody out there. Tell us about uh, how he, the bat. Yeah. So it's a true story. <laughs> Ralph was very well respected in all, all realms. You know, I think most of the contractors were very afraid of Ralph because he would show up at a construction meeting with a baseball bat. And he would do it's a true. walkthrough. You know, he'd walk through the space to see if everything was being built the way it was supposed to be built. And I actually remember one time, I think it was for KPMG, something was wrong, and he took the baseball bat and slammed it through the drywall. He <laughs> says, this is all wrong. It's got to be fixed. Literally did that. So I was, and, and I always loved he would say how he would just show up at the client's he would just walk right into their offices, you know, because at that time there were no, you know, you didn't have to show ID and basically give your firstborn at the front desk. So he would just show up at clients, you know, at, at if it was even a high level person, you know, Larry Fink, he would show up and, and hang out with them, have lunch yeah. randomly in the cafeteria. Yeah, there were no boundaries. Yeah. He would just, just show up. Yeah, I was saying to him, Ralph, you, there's no way you would have been able to do that today and no way you, that you, if you brought a bat to the to the construction site in the, in the last 10 years, they would have like had you committed. Right. <laughs> I've often thought about it, but it's a bad idea. That's right. Uh, 
So Jessica, um, you know, I don't know kind of what we did before you got here, frankly, uh, and how we survived when it came to design. Um, you know, we had New Jersey covered with Dana Jenkins, um, but in New York City, we were just winging it. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, we had some talented people here, uh, but no one that ever could could kind of pull it together. So, I mean, my question is really, you know, you know, what makes working here different from your from your previous firm? or firms, um, and as the design leader, you know, of the firm, you know, what made you want to become a partner here? Well, first you give me way too much credit, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really liked the idea of the young leadership that we're all extremely invested and that we all can depend on each other. We were, we take care of our, our own realm of the company but that we're, we're so hardworking and invested in that the, the young leadership um, is dynamically involved with the whole firm. I think in a lot of other places that I've worked, leadership was sort of its own entity, off in a corner, um, and, and did not really work closely with people throughout the company. And on top of that, there was not much transparency about the firm, about the goals, um, about the strategy, about the financials. So I really liked this idea of leadership being involved and invested in growing the firm into the future. And also that there's such a sense of transparency here and that it's a place where people can grow and develop and turn their careers into really what they want to make of their careers. Um, so that's what enticed me to, to buy into the firm and become part of leadership also. Um, I've always loved mentoring and I, I really like being able to see the people that we're mentoring kind of grow up through the firm and knowing that there is a place for them and that they can turn their career into a next step. You know, Bola, as you were saying, a lot of times in traditional firms, you sort of hit this place where you don't know what your next step is. But here, I think that there's so many options for what your next step could be. You know, it could be another spinoff company like MDLX, or we could start a new division. And, and I just love that idea. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, that's that's the concept, right? Is that you know, you, you we we love sharing. You know, a lot of people have said we share too much, as, as a matter of fact. But it's never been that way for us. You know, it's we share everything. I mean, this is this is what we have in our bank account. I mean, it's you know, it can scare people, but it can also give them a sense of true ownership and and pride in what they're doing. And and as you said, there's a there's a clear path here and the path as it's almost undefined because you can make it whatever you want as opposed to many other architecture and design firms. Right. I love the architecture profession. There are so many wonderful people, so many interesting, innovative and smart folks. And we get access to people that most never even have an opportunity to meet in person. I have worked with Bob Iger, CEO of Disney, Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, John Foley, founder of Peloton, and many more legends. There is another aspect of architects that fascinates me. How do clients view us? How do they work with us? Those that work with architects either have a wonderful experience or a pretty bad one. Let's continue to listen to the lessons they've learned. And now back to the episode. And then, so so one of the themes of the podcast is technology, um, and you know to work better with our clients. Can you describe a little bit about our design process and kind of what we use and how we use technology? 
So we've really curated this design process that involves the whole team and really integrates the clients into the process as well. Um, and I think that that creates a much better final product for everyone. So we start with some version of programming or workplace strategy, and I think that makes for um, a knowledge-based solution that solves issues that clients are having and also really helps us to get in their head about their goals and vision for their company and helps us to make that come to life through our design. Um, so we, we create a workplace strategy brief with everything that we've learned and then we'll start going through test fits. And our test fit process is, is really kind of the heart of our 360 design because we start immersing them into that 360 design realm immediately upon test fit. We have a planning palette that we utilize so we can walk them through that 3D environment and, and look at multiple options and multiple buildings that we might be test fitting for them. Then we go into schematic design where we're sort of looking at overarching design concepts, again, in a very immersive way. So they're able to see these big ideas come to life within that 3D environment. Um, we solidify the big idea for the space and the design concept, and then we start going through schematic design where we're pulling in lighting, finishes, um, fixtures, and everything links back to that big idea concept that we've all agreed to in the beginning. So we progress through multiple iterations of seeing what that looks like in schematic design and seeing it become more and more evolved until uh, it becomes a more realistic, um, fully fitted out and finished 3D environment that they're completely immersed in. And it's pretty amazing to see client reactions when you're walking through this immersive experience with them. Yeah. And they're able to move things around and shift through design options um, and, and really be a part of that design process with us, totally immersed into it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I will say, and, and the way that you've been able to get, you know, all the designers to work in the same realm has been great. I always say to our clients, you know, we can do what a normal architecture firm does in three weeks. We can do in three hours in this process. Um, and it just, it's been, it's exciting for all of us. It really is defined kind of what and how we do everything here, here at Mancini, which is great. Um, so the theme of this podcast with other guests, uh, as I said earlier, is a critical look at how architects work with their clients and then ultimately how our clients see us. Um, you know, let's be honest uh, with our audience here. Um, what, what do you think we can do better as architects and designers to help our, our clients? You know, basically, you know, I want to know, you know, what are we good at and what are we not so good at? Not necessarily just here at Mancini Duffy, and I'm, you know, uh, full disclosure, I mean, we're really good at some things and some things we're not, right? Like anybody else. Um, but just in general in the, in the realm of the architecture and design world. So um, I kind of throw this out to anyone who, who wants to answer, um, you know, so. So, <laughs> you know, I think one of the things that, again, going back to kind of like why you and I got along is that we're not typical architects. I think that a lot of architects can't, 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 they, they let them, let themselves get in the way of a good project and a, um, and, and really seeing what the client wants because there's, there's a lot, let's be honest, there's, there's a lot of egos in our industry. Um, there's a lot of people concerned with, you know, putting, their own mark on something rather than actually listening to what might be needed for the client. Yeah. yeah I think I have to agree with that. I think for us, what makes us really good is that, that we do listen to the client and we listen to the client's needs and then interpret that in our own way. 
And I think that's what makes us a little bit unique. Yeah. Yeah. I think you really hit on something too. There's no ego. And I think that that allows us to immerse ourselves with the client and study and think and tinker. And it enables us to come up with much better design solutions than potentially the way we would in a standard process or if we were bringing an ego to the table. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think we're also upfront and honest with our clients too. You know, we try to tell them ahead of time, like, hey, your budget's probably not enough or the schedule's unrealistic. And I think a lot of other architects kind of gloss over that stuff and try to, you know, get their 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 creation built and, and out of the way. So, so last couple of questions. Um, so I want to turn the tables here a bit on me. So I want you guys to rip on me a bit. What am I not good at? You know, you guys are very complimentary here. So what, what do I, I know there's things that I suck at. So tell me, what, what am I not good at? I know Bill's got something. He had to have prepared something for this. Yeah, I got something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, hold on. Oh, time out for a sec. Food's here. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Unpause. Okay. <laughs> um, no, listen, dude. One thing I would tell you that um, my criticism of you is I think you don't give yourself enough credit for stuff. Um, I think that, you know, kind of like we said, I think all of us here, we don't have egos. Well, I mean, everybody has some level of ego, but we don't have, you know, egos that are out of control. Um, and, and, and that's a good thing. I think that um, one thing I've noticed about you, you do doubt yourself a lot of times when I think uh, it's not really necessary. I think you need to give yourself a little more credit. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I didn't expect that. <laughs> that was sweet. <laughs> Come on, Bola. Christian is Santa Claus. He will. <laughs> See, Bola, I had to leave this one for you because I knew you were going to say it. Christian will give. I mean, we are actually really similar in that sense. But just because I have, I, I, I work so closely with our numbers, I have to reel you in. <laughs> if not, Christian will give everybody the world which is you know i think that i actually think that when it comes to like our employees our company like the things that we give the benefits that we provide are incredible which came from you guys first at at least before i got here um came from the three of you um bill scott christian uh so I'm, i'm glad that we have that but i like to Real, yeah. real, real you back in. Bola knows, I've said this before, I'd love to pay everyone a minimum of a $200,000 salary. <laughs> Scratch that. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how we could make that work in a business model. Yes. It's true. I want to give everybody, I, everybody works so hard. I want to give them, you know, what they deserve. You know? I completely agree. You find that people stay, you know, if you treat your employees well, you pay them well um, financially as well as non-monetary benefits, you'll find good people that will stay. And so I'm happy to do what I can if people do their parts on the floor too. <laughs> so work hard, I will make it happen. That's great. Yeah. And again, I'm going to like, I think that's part of part of why we get along as well too is because, you know, I can be the, the Vic Vinegar to your Hugh Honey so every so often. Yeah, it's true. Bill's really good at firing people, which is not an easy task. Trust me, it's, it's painful. I was just going to say, Christian's not great at being bad cop. That's true. <laughs> I think Christian never says no. That's right. 
However, I think that's part of what makes him so good at yeah. everything else because he, he doesn't need to be that. And he's so great at being good cop. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Good. I'll take that. I like it. All right. And then final question for everybody. Uh, what do you want to do when you retire from here? So I will go to Scott first. I'm going to work on making beer. Nice. Ola? Uh, I will be like Bill Gates or Warren solving some world issue with all my millions and billions of dollars. Nice. All right. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Jessica? I want to move to a farm and raise animals and get away from the hustle and bustle of the city and just have an amazing garden. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. And last, Bill? Uh, spend as much time with my family, hopefully at my kick-ass beach house with like a really cool fishing boat. That's about it. Awesome. I'm not doing anything as, as nice as Bala would do. Well, thank you guys so much uh, for joining me here on the Anti-Architect podcast. Um, this has been a lot, a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Let's do it again. And uh, I love you guys so much. So thanks love again. Love you too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.